Welcome to a talk from St Saviour's Sunbury. We hope that it blesses you. Oh, I'm a bit loud. Don't really need this thing. I'm loud enough without it. God gifted me with a loud mouth. And sometimes it comes in useful. Thank you, Kirsty. I love it when in worship, God just... Um, draws really close. I mean, he's always there, but sometimes you can really feel him. And when he does that, and I always find, I was saying to Kirsty at lunchtime, I find if I'm preaching that I really sense it more. Because I need to. Because I need to know that when I stand here and talk, he's listening. And uh, I need to think about what I'm saying. Because it's not just about what I'm saying to you, it's actually I'm talking to him. And I think it's really easy to forget that. You know, I could picture, I'm trying to think who, who God would best be. Jeremy's looking a bit stern tonight. I'm not, not going there. Alex is looking far too soft and cuddly, so definitely not going there. Ron, yeah, no, we won't go there. Um, <laughs> but God, how, how do we imagine that God is looking at us? I um, struggle with lots of things. I'm getting better. God is breaking lots of stuff off me. But I still struggle with things. And I struggle to go to God sometimes and talk to him as he was my father in the way that he was a father who would do what he just said in that verse that Ron read. If my children will come and ask me. So as I've read two Chronicles, and there are lots of themes in there, and there are 36 chapters, and we're not going through all of them tonight, so you will be pleased to know. One of the things that God has, complete, has kept uh, challenging me on is, is what I go to him and ask for. My son, who a lot of you know, who is 14, is persistent. I have said this to you many times. Isn't Edward persistent, Ellie? When he wants something, he's just like, do you know... And he's always reminded me of that widow who went to the judge and said, I want you to, is it Matthew? Luke, Luke. one of those, thank you, Luke 18. And I know I'm not good at being persistent. But then we have that verse. And if I will go, what do I go and ask God for? What do I think I can ask him for? One of my work colleagues uh, last year was diagnosed with cancer. And we all rallied around, and um, one of my colleagues said, you've got to pray for the cancer to be taken away. I believe that the cancer can be taken away. And I go, yeah, I can believe that God could do that. But my colleague was like, no, I don't feel it's right to ask for that. And I challenge myself sometimes. Why do I think sometimes that God will not listen to the things that I actually want? Is it because I've had an imperfect model of a father growing up who was born in 1917, if he was still alive today, he'd be 102, who was a typical Victorian father who was like, well, you ask, you'll get presents at Christmas and birthdays and that'll be it. And don't ask for anything too big. And so my model of God is of this God that will give, well, you know, he can give. I do not disbelieve that he can, but I constantly struggle with 
I shouldn't really ask for it. My model is that, you know, Julie, just, just sit in the corner, keep quiet, do what people say, keep to the rules, and that's what you need to do. Instead of believing that God says, no, you can come to me, you can ask for amazing things even more. You can make a loud noise. You can break the rules. Kirsty said, you're all very quiet during sermons. Oh, you've been very quiet. So, so, no, sorry. I'll take it that you're listening differently. Um, sometimes we're, we're quiet. We, we think the rules are that you're in church and you've got to be quiet. But we go to another church, like the one you've come from, which is really loud, and the rules are you've got to make lots of noise. <laughs> we got this. Where's the whooping that goes with it, Nisha? <laughs> we stick to the rules. But God doesn't always want that. God wants us to be free. God wants us to be wise. So we're going to look, um, it's going to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. It has got to be the, one of the best known bits apart from the one that Ron read. You should all have a Bible near you because I'm going to be flicking backwards and forwards and I might ask you to do some work. So um, there are some spare Bibles. Um, if not, they're on the back. Just pop back to the back door and you can grab one. So just to recap, 2 Chronicles is a commentary on kings, effectively. 2 Chronicles is written to the people of Judah after they'd come back from exile in Babylon. 2 Chronicles is written by the priests, and it's the second scroll of the 1-2 Chronicles um, block that is actually the, the end of the Jewish Bible. And it's a nice summary, so it's why we didn't do go straight from Kings to Chronicles in our Bible reading. King David has transformed Israel. King David wasn't always the best king. King David didn't always listen to what God is saying. He has died, and now Solomon, his son, has come to the throne. And this is what happened. Solomon spoke to all Israel, verse 2, to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders, the heads of families, and Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. Now David brought up the ark of God from Kirath, wherever, wherever that is, to the place he has prepared for it, because he has pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar, blah, 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 had made was in Gibeon, in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. I found that if you don't know how to pronounce it, either say it quickly or miss it out. Bezalel, thank you. Or, or alternatively, just wait for the vicar to fill it in. Chapter, uh, verse 6, Solomon went up to the bronze altar. Verse 7, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me a king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, 
not just what he knew he should ask for. And you have not asked for wealth or possessions or honour, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you've not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions and honour, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will ever have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. And he accumulated chariots and horses and blah, 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 blah. The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the footholes. When I read that bit, I get the image of the Wizard of Oz and that yellow brick road and all the jewels. And that's what it was like. Because he'd asked for wisdom. He asked for what he needed. And God gave him even more. There's six or seven huge themes in Chronicles, and I would love to go through them all. But I just want to mention two, maybe three. The first one is right in that passage. And it says that Solomon focused on what God wanted. And throughout two chronicles, we have 22 kings of Judah, plus a few of other places mentioned. And we went from Solomon who focused on God to the next one who didn't, to one who did, to one who didn't, one who did, who did and, and a bit in between. It was like this flow like this of focusing on God, focus on heathen, focusing on God, focusing on what I want. When they focused on God, amazing things happened. When they focus on what I want, well, captivity, death, that's what happened. Ron this morning said, uh, how do you get a church to die? That's how you get a church to die. Yes, I was listening. I've got notes. Um, Ron said, how do you get a church to die? You stop focusing on God in the same way as you get an, a nation to be killed or in exile because you stop focusing on God. I love that, that Lord's Prayer. Let heaven come. That's what we want here. We want that vision of the Wizard of Oz and all those pretty things. But we want heaven to come. That's what our focus is. That's why we have our vision of... Radically, he, if he hasn't told you, it's always three times. He, he will tell you it's three times. Radically transforming lives. We want heaven on earth. And it's not because, you know, Ron wants to be bishop or archbishop of Canterbury or whatever, because he's grown this huge church. It's because he wants to see lives transformed. He wants people to come to know God. I've been in churches which are definitely dead. Um, and I've been in, I was going to say, in PCC meetings, there's one of them tomorrow night, and it's not going to be at all like this, I'm sure, where we've spent three quarters of an hour discussing the number of loo rolls that you should use on a Sunday, which was for that church, 22. Um, <laughs> that is a dead church. Yeah, it got bad. That was the first ever PCC equivalent meeting I went to. Yeah. 
Are we focusing on God? Are we focusing on what God wants us to do? Where is our focus? Do we look? Um, and as we go through this, if we look in chapter 6, and just quickly scoot over to chapter 6, and we've not got time, but we can read this prayer. Read the prayer that Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple. But more than that, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, this is verse 12, in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out of his hands. He stood on the platform, then he knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven and he said, this is the king who is kneeling in front of God. Hands up anybody that watched the royal wedding, any of them, not necessarily the last one. Everybody curtsies, they bob their head to the queen. Do you ever see the queen do that? No. Because she's the queen. Imagine that same scenario. This is the king, and he's doing a wrong. Because Ron often worships, have you noticed, with his hands up? And other times you will find him on his knees, at the back, at the front. (laughs) One of the advantages of having chairs is we can move them around, but we have no kneelers to kneel on. We have no Sheila to demonstrate how we prostrate ourselves before our God. When do we forget ourselves? When do we forget our comfort? When do we get down? When do we stop looking at us and thinking, oh, I mustn't do that because somebody's going to hey, look up my skirt or in my case, I'm not going to get back off the floor again if I get down there in the first place. <laughs> when do we do it? Solomon is so focused on God and that's what he does. He forgets about himself and focuses himself on God. I'm tempted, but I'm not going to go there read how many, how many um, references to trumpets there are in Chronicles. Have you noticed how many worship scenarios there are in Chronicles, two Chronicles? Kim, you must have noticed. Yes. <laughs> All the music, no. Maybe it's just me that trumpets stand out to. Kirsty, a trumpet? If, if I'd known Kirsty was starting today, I might have been tempted to go down that way. Every time, and the temple was built, and the temple was knocked down, and it was refurbished, and it was desecrated. People went away from God, people came towards God. And every time they came back, worship came. Every time the king was focused on God, he ordained worship. The two went together. Kirsty was saying this morning, and Ron was saying tonight, if you play, if you want to play, come and join it. And that's all there in 2 Chronicles. If you're bored on the train, go through. See how many times trumpets are mentioned. We come back to worship because it's about focusing on God and not about us. So our focus, and then the other bit that I love. um, King Asa, A-S-A, how do you pronounce that, Ron? A-S-A. 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 It's King A-S-A. Um, And he's in chapter 16, verse 22. 
except there's not 22, oh, 12. I can't read my own writing. Still getting used to bifocals. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Through this disease, though this disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from doctors. Because he didn't focus on God. And doctors in those days weren't like doctors in these days. There was a spiritual element very much to it as well. Because he forgot the focus, because he didn't go and ask. He was afflicted and he died. Focus on God, not on what you can do. I was once part of a group that put on a, a, an event which was going to be amazing. We'd done the planning, we knew it was what was needed, we'd done the advertising. We opened the door and four people came in. Because what none of us had done, even though it was a Christian youth event, was that we had never specifically convened a prayer meeting. We'd never really sat down and prayed through all the arrangements. We had totally relied on what we knew we should be able to do, and it failed. Focus on God, not on what you can do. And then coming back to where we started. Back to those big prayers. Back to those big prayers. All the way through, Solomon's asking for wisdom. Asa, again in chapter 14, he says, I want this because only God can do it. These things come together. Over and over again. What are we daring to ask? Those verses that Ron read out for us. Are we looking to God and dreaming big? Believing that so much can happen. Because when they did in the Bible, much, much more happened. And more than that, they became attractive. Because one of the things about a dead church is it's really unattractive. Unless you like small numbers and plenty of seats because there's no queue. Unless you want to be comfortable rather than riled up. These people that did amazing things in God's name were attractive. Hiram at Tyre, another king, and Solomon went to him and said, I need some help with my temple. Have you got some great craftsmen to come along and help me? And Hiram said, yeah, I'll do that. It's in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. And then after all this had happened, Hiram says, this is only done because of what God has done through you. The Queen of Sheba, in chapter 9, comes and says, comes to hear about this riches, and again says, this is only possible because of your God. These people out there that were worshipping idols which were not the one true God realised that anything could be done because of God. If we focus on God, if we pray big prayers, we become attractive people. We become people that people want to know, what is your story? What is it that, that makes you different? What is it that stops you being as you were, as you were, as I was, as many of us were? What makes you a different person? And we should have that story. Because God can do anything that we ask for if it's done for his glory.
So this week, focus on him. Worship him. Get those trumpets out. Get those drums out. Have big prayers. And show the world what a difference that makes. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.